Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. That's what I want to talk a little bit about today as we talk about goals and how do we look ahead, uh, especially for our lives. As you know, well, first of all, if you have your Bibles, you could turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Uh, We're going to look at about four verses this morning, but as you're turning to that, uh, once again, you could go to our church app, and we have all our notes there that you can follow in and fill in the blanks. But as you're turning to that passage, uh, just as a way of review for those of you who are joining us for the very first time, we welcome you. And we've been kind of in this series for the last two weeks called New. As you know, it's been a crazy 2020 year. And then we really feel like God is calling us to something new. Uh, And I think this is just across the board and across the world. Uh, Many churches are rethinking about what is it that we're doing? What is it that God is calling us to do? What does it mean to be the church? And so we can't just go back to business as usual. We got to think about what it is that the Holy Spirit is speaking to us about. And that's why uh, two weeks ago we talked about this new chapter. And this idea of how we got to take the time to pause and to evaluate, to really see where we are uh, in our lives as a church so that we could then move and advance forward in progress in the things that God has called us to do. Uh, Another thing that we talked about last week was this, um, not only the new chapter, but uh, we talked about this new inspiration, how God, through his word, if we commit to it, that he will help us through the reading of the word, listening to the Holy Spirit, that he will give us inspiration so that we may be able to overcome whatever temptations, whatever difficulties that you may be facing in your life. So today, I want to talk about the new goals. Uh, As many of you know, um, I don't know if you're in your Zoom or maybe you're with your life group, uh, you can just kind of indicate it with an emoji or whatever will be easier to Uh, communicate with one another, but how many of you have made New Year's resolutions or you have set forth some goals? Can I go ahead and give you just about 10 seconds to go ahead and do that to uh, indicate that you have actually made some goals and some resolutions? Those of you who haven't, you struggle with fear of failure, I can tell. Um, Just kidding, but uh, hopefully... After today, you'll realize that setting goals is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. In fact, it will help us. And according to YouGov, uh, it's an international research and data uh, analysis group. And what they did was that uh, they gave the top 15 New Year's resolution from 2020. So that's last year. So when it was 2019, People were setting some goals, and the start of 2020, here's a top 15, the list of resolutions that people have set forth. And they kind of ordered it according to how many people, percentage of people who took their survey, uh, how many of them have indicated that this is their part of their New Year's resolution. So let me go ahead and go over this list. It's going to be right in front of you. And the first thing is that exercise more. 50% of people said that they wanted to exercise more. The second one is save money, and that was about 49%. So a good handful of people said they wanted to save more money this year. The third is more healthy eating or eating more healthier, if you want to look at it that way. That was about 43%. 
And then the fourth, of course, it's always there, lose weight, right? Looking nice and 37%. And then we have reduced stress. And that's something that definitely in Hong Kong we can relate to. So that's 34%. And then get more sleep. Amen and amen and amen. That's 30%. Almost a third of the people who responded. And then number seven, stick to a budget. That was about 30%. And then number eight, focus on spiritual growth. It was interesting that even though it's not a Christian base, but many people indicated that they wanted to grow spiritually. And that was about 28%. And then number nine, travel more. Can you imagine? All those people are like, well, get that out of the way because this is 2020, right? These are the goals for 2020. So they wanted to travel more, but no one could have traveled or no one was able to travel. So it's interesting. And then number 10, learn a new skill. That's about 25%. Number 11, improve relations with family. That's 24%. And spend more time with family, 24%. And number 13, improve relationship with a partner. That's 24%. And the last two is make more friends. That's 19%. And spend more time volunteering. That's 18%. Now, as you're looking at this list, I'm pretty confident that some of you have at least one or two of these things on your list if you have wrote down some goals or you made some New Year's resolution. But let me tell you the sad news. The sad news is that before the month of January is through, a lot of these goals will not be accomplished. Uh, In fact, there is this research done by Strava, which is a social network for athletes, and it was discovered that Sunday, January 12th, the 12th of January of 2020, was the fateful day when most of the New Year's resolutions were not accomplished. And pretty much, if I could put it plainly, everyone decided to give up on it. The 12th of January. So then I said, okay, let's fast forward to this year. And if you just kind of do the math a little bit, and I'm just kind of eyeballing it, I realized that for many of us, this coming Tuesday, the 12th of January, is where a lot of our New Year's resolution and also goals will die, right? Pretty sad. So in the next two days, when Tuesday rolls around, we're going to all have a funeral for our goals. Now, that being said, why is it that these resolutions, these goals only last for two weeks at best? Why is that? And as I was thinking about it, I realized that there's a whole slew of reasons, many reasons. But I think for many of us, if we're very honest, there's some key components why we cannot be faithful or at least follow through on some of our goals. I think sometimes we lose a sense of purpose, why we even set the goals. For some of us, we don't really have a clear plan of action, what we're going to do, how we're going to do it, when we're going to do it, for how long. Uh, We don't have those things played out. Another thing I believe is also very, very important is accountability. You don't have people checking up on you, trying to encourage you, or even just kind of putting the fire a little bit underneath you and say, hey, we committed to doing this together. Let's do it together. And so having accountability is another reason why sometimes we're not able to accomplish our goal and our New Year's resolution. 
I want to show you uh, this quick video that actually, as some of you probably have heard many times before, I, uh, I was a psychology major, and through that, I got really fascinated with the mind and how the brain works. And in this video, what it's going to do, it's going to explain a little bit about habit or practice in some kind of skill. And it's going to be very scientific. So those of you who hated science, uh, you could just kind of doze off and uh, come back on. But uh, those of you who are a little bit more on the nerdier side, this will um, excite you as you have your brain stimulated this morning. But it's just really telling a more of the physiological aspect of why our brain, uh, neurons, and even into our physical body, why they all play a part in building good habits and also being able to do things even unconsciously. So let's go ahead and watch this video and then we'll come back. Isn't it amazing that a repeated action can actually strengthen the habit and through that it's about behavior and what you do. And a lot more research is being done and as I think about, as I was thinking about that, I realized that those of you who are musicians or you play an instrument and you remember those scars that you have in your life when your mom said, you cannot eat until you finish practicing or I don't know how your parents raised you, but just those scary moments and you just practiced hour after hour after hour. Now, when you're able to just pick up an instrument, uh, it, it flows. You can actually start creating because a lot of the basic skills you know how to do. So you're not thinking about how to strum. And when it's a 3-4, you're, you're not playing a 4-4 four, four and messing everyone up, right? Because that's someone who knows how to play because they practice for a very long time. I think about athletes. And when I'm uh, just even watching or even uh, I have an opportunity to play once in a while, it, when I see other people, you can tell those who have practiced and is now unconscious in terms of what they do on the court, what they do on the field, and they are now creating as they are responding to the situation above, uh, ne next to them or in that moment. Now, why is all this important? Because some of you are just kind of woke up because that video was boring for you, but it was exciting for me. But I want to show you now visually what happens when you practice something over and over and over again, how not only do you increase in speed, but then you also increase in the proficiency of doing that behavior. So it's going to be like a, a minute video. I'm going to show you another one. Um, but this, let me give you a little bit of a context. Uh, this is somewhere in Asia. And those of you who might not know, there's some, something called the bus boy or these people who actually come and clean the table or waiters or servers, however you want to look at it. And so whenever a restaurant is a good restaurant, there's a long line. So they're trying to get people out quickly, clean the table, and to bring the next customer or customers in. So I want you to watch this video. Watch this busboy, how quickly he does the cleaning of the table. I want you to see his fluidity and the movement of what he's doing. And be amazed. All right? So let's watch this together. As I was trying to mention earlier, that muscle memory in terms of habits and practices that we do are so important. And this has a lot of relevance 
for spiritual disciplines. I hope that as you're thinking about goals, that part of the goals that you are setting forth for yourself do have that spiritual element, whether it's reading the word, whether it's prayer, whether it's just being faithful to life group, whatever it may be, where you are disciplining yourself and doing it over and over again so that it can be something that is natural to you. Now, one thing that I do want to mention is this. I realize that whenever we talk about spiritual disciplines or spiritual habits, it is really easy to go to the two extremes. And we're always talking about avoiding the two extremes. For some of us, we just get totally discouraged. We don't see the importance of it. We have no desire for it. So we don't do it at all. Others of us, we take these spiritual disciplines and we just make it into a task and that fuels our self-righteousness and even our spiritual pride. Where we find the middle ground is simply asking the question, what is the end result or the end goal of all spiritual habits? Everything that we do. And I believe that we see this in Scripture in Matthew chapter 22, the famous passage that many of you know. Uh, it's up on your screen and it says this in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 through 39 in the ESV. And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So when you look at this passage, you realize that everything that we do when it comes to spiritual habits is to accomplish this verse is to be able to love God more and to love people more. If your spiritual disciplines or your spiritual habits, reading the Bible, memorizing scripture, fasting, uh, solitude, reflection, whatever it may be, prayer, if it does not lead you to more of a Christ-likeness in loving God and loving people, then it is not gonna help us. And I think this is the reason why so many of us give up even before January 12th, in being faithful to what God has called us to do. In fact, I really like what David Mathis said, uh, this author. He, 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 he says about this whole spiritual habit, if we look at it as some kind of discipline or something that we do, that we're going to either get very proud or we're going to get very discouraged, which I believe describes many of us. But what he says is that change your perspective and look at the spiritual habits as a means of grace, as a means of experiencing who God is. So listen to his quote. And so he wrote in the book, Habits of Grace. This is what he writes. He says this, the means of grace are God's promised channels of continuing grace received by faith. Infinite grace is behind us and infinite grace lies ahead. And through his appointed means of grace, and that means of grace are like those spiritual habits, God is pleased to supply ongoing life and energy and health and strength to our souls. The means of grace fill our tank for the pursuit of joy of, for the good of others and for the glory of God. And they are blessings, not mere disciplines but channels through which God gives us spiritual food for our survival, growth, and flourishing in the mission. But too many have emphasized technique and skill with the unfortunate diminishing or neglect of God's role as supplier and provider. Too often the stress has been on the individual's initiative and effort. 
Much has been said in terms of duty and little said about joy. And the seeming proliferation of long lists of disciplines can leave young Christians overwhelmed by what they're not practicing and in some cases contribute to a low-grade sense of guilt, which threatens to keep us from fully engaging with the rest of our everyday lives for which these practices should be preparing us. What a great reminder that every spiritual discipline and every spiritual habit that we participate in, it is a means to grace that will lead us to more of who God is because he is the provider and the sustainer as he su supplies our needs, what we need. It will invigorate us. It will help us to love him more. It will help us to love people more. So that's the... That's the greatest test. All your soap and your Bible reading, is it helping you to love God and to love people more? If it's not, then as we talked about in our other sermon series, that we're just like the Pharisees, having the form of godliness out, outwardly, but in our hearts we're riding away. That's why it is important to keep our hearts in check. So the one thing that I want to share today as we talk about in 1 Timothy, is that when our hope is on eternity, we will make our goals a priority. That when we put our hope on eternity, we will make our goals a priority. So can we just pause here? And I want to have you break up into huddle groups, maybe groups of two or three. And there's a couple questions I want you to think about so that we can kind of engage and learn together about this idea of how when our hope is on eternity or eternal things, then we can make our goals a priority. So the first question is this, why do you think it is hard for people to stick with their commitments and goals? So just talk about why is it so difficult? Why is it hard? Um, be honest, be vulnerable and share because no one's perfect. We have different things that hinder us. The second question is simply this, what, why is it easy to see spiritual habits such as reading the Bible, prayer, fasting, etc., as some kind of task rather than a means of God's grace so that we can know and enjoy Jesus more? So go ahead and just break up uh, into huddle groups. We'll give you about six minutes so you don't have much time. So just go ahead and jump right into it and we'll bring you back and we'll go into the points. So we'll see you soon. Welcome back. Hopefully you had a good opportunity to share with one another. Um, especially if you're uh, joining us for the first time, if you just uh, want to be a part of a, a Zoom smaller group, uh, you can kind of indicate there and we'll try to get you in uh, involved in a Zoom as well instead of just watching. But uh, I want to just go ahead and jump into the points that I want to make as we look at the First Timothy passage. As we think about goals this coming year, I pray that it will be, help us to see it in a new perspective. We'll see it in a new, God will put a new desire in us to be able to do the things that he, he's given to us as a means of grace so that we may experience him, know him, love him, enjoy him, and to be able to share Christ uh, to the rest of the world. So I pray that that will be an encouragement to you especially as we go over this point here. So the first thing, as we talk about when our hope is on eternity, we will make our goals our priority. Uh, there are two specific things that we see here that Paul, Apostle Paul, is trying to say. The first thing is this, that we must be focused. 
Um, many of us struggle so much with just having a focused mind, a single-mindedness towards something. And unless we are able to focus, we're not going to be able to accomplish the goals that we have set forth, especially these spiritual habits that we want and we believe that it's going to help us in our relationship with God. Just a little um, background, as many of you know, today's passage is coming from 1 Timothy but it's interesting because this letter, as it was written by the Apostle Paul to Timothy, the specific thing that we see here is that the relationship. Paul was like a spiritual father to Timothy. Even when you look at the first couple of verses in chapter 1, you will notice that he addresses Timothy as a child or a son in the faith. And so because of this relationship, he's speaking into Timothy's life. That the things that I'm telling you are very important. That's what he's trying to say here. You will also notice that in this whole letter, he's trying to, Apostle Paul is trying to encourage Timothy to be faithful to the things that he was taught, in particular to the doctrine about the word of faith. They didn't have the Bible back then. So all the teachings that Paul gave to Timothy, he's trying to say, be true to those things. Don't deviate from it. Focus in on the things that I have taught you because if you do deviate, it's going to lead into a bad situation, especially for the church that Timothy was overseeing at that time. And that's why there was a strong exhortation in chapter 1 about false teachers. Watch out for these false teachers who will lead people astray. And so now we're going to emphasize this idea of teaching of the faith and why it's important. So let me go ahead and read verse 7 through 9. So 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 7 through 9. Listen to what it says. It says, Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. So we, we notice here, as we have just read in this passage, that the Apostle Paul tells Timothy to have nothing to do with these irreverent, or if you want to translate it in a different way, these profane, ungodly, silly myths, but to focus on training yourself for godliness. Now the phrase, have nothing to do, that is translated as reject or to avoid. So he says simply avoid or reject these irreverent, and silly myths that people are talking about. Now, I, I like some of these other translations to help us to understand this idea of being focused. In the New Living Translation, it says, do not waste time. If you, if you just look at me for a moment, I'm just wondering how many of us, with just on a given day, we waste time. We get so focused on things that are not really eternal. It doesn't have any impact. But we get so caught up with those things. So that's why Paul is saying, don't waste time, avoid, reject some of these things. Another translation in the message is, stay clear of. It's almost like a warning. Be careful. Stay clear of these things. And then in the Passion Translation, it says, be quick to abstain from. So it's something that we are to abstain from, to avoid, to reject, as we talked about earlier. The reference to silly myth was mentioned before in the first chapter. So once again, there was this temptation and there was this onslaught, if you want to look at it as a spiritual battle, for Timothy to get totally distracted 
by things that are, are to divide and to pull people away. So Paul is saying, wake up, Timothy. Make sure you don't get distracted. Stay focused on what it is that you are called to do. If you look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3 to 7, um, he starts off the letter about this idea of false teachers, things that are distracting. And then he mentions again right now in chapter 4. So I want us to read what he was referring to in chapter 1 so this has some context. Now, one of the things that we always do is read aloud the yellow section because the more senses you use, visually, auditory, and also even verbally, you're able to remember a little bit better. So on the yellow sections, go ahead and just read it out loud with me. This is what the Word of God says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3 to 7. As I urge you when I was going to Macedonia, remain uh, at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogy, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God, that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. So what you notice here as we read this passage is that he quickly addresses that there are a lot of people who are trying to distract. They're talking about genealogies. They're talking about all these different myths. These things are being brought up so that the truth will not be able to go forth. And this is why Paul is saying, focus. Do not get distracted about the main thing, on the main thing. Keep the main thing, the main thing. And as he's sharing this, he says, it's about what? Love. Learning to love people. And as you know, teaching people about the gospel, the truth of Jesus Christ. As I was reading this, I, a memory came into my mind. Uh, it was back in uh, Michigan when my wife and I, are, uh, we came to Michigan to start the church. And I think it was probably the second or third year. It was just early on in our church, uh, back in the late mid to late 90s. And I mean, God was doing some great things. He brought people who were able to hear the gospel. Their lives were being transformed. And it was exciting because, you know, as you're, if you've ever participated in a church plant, while everything's new, uh, you're seeing people experience like community, the things that you really wanted to envision, people are experiencing uh, life transformation. So it was very exciting during that time. But there was this one instance where there was a person who actually contacted me. And like I said, it was like in the mid to late 90s. So email was not really uh, popular. Uh, forget about like WhatsApp and all that kind of stuff. That wasn't even invented. And so what happened was this guy sent me this email and he wrote this long email and just talking about how certain things that we do and when we do it that way, he doesn't think it's right. And I remember I just like, who, who, who is this guy? And so I was asking somebody, do you know who this person is? Like, yeah, he's kind of like a, he comes out to church, a little bit fringe, but he's very confrontational. He just loves arguing, all that kind of stuff. So then something clicked inside of me, and I won't say it's godly clicking, but it was something that my flesh kind of awakened to. I go, I'm going to put this guy in his place. 
So then I started typing the email, responding to all his comments. And then I would send it. And I'm like, there, it settles it. And here I am trying to finish off my sermon, work on other things. And then about 10, 15 minutes later, the email comes back. Then I realized that this guy responded to my email, which I responded to his email. So now he's responding to me on the email that I responded to. So just try to imagine this. He's then countering my points. So as a pastor, someone a little bit older, a little bit more mature, even though I was still in my mid-20s, I should have just let it die and said, you know what? Let me just focus on loving Jesus, loving people, because I need to finish the word of God so people that are thirsting for the word, I should focus on the greater good. But that's when it clicked. Once again, not the godly clicking, but the flesh started clicking. I said, this guy, is, he, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. So I had to let him know that he didn't know what he was talking about. So I responded to his response to my response that I responded to his response. So you, you could imagine this was going on. And I realized after four to five hours of this, this is when I'm like, man, if we had WhatsApp, if you had Zoom, we could just take care of it right there. We were going back for many hours to the point where I was so distracted that I was not able to accomplish and finish what I needed to do for that day. And I was thinking about this, and I realized that somewhere in this process that the Holy Spirit, I knew he was speaking to me, telling me, just drop it. He's immature. He's probably wounded from something that happened in his past. So something triggered him. Just let him go and just focus on what you need to focus in on. But I realized that I gave into my flesh, and finally I made some strong comments, and then he stopped. And then later on, I found out that this person decided not to come to our church. And part of me, I'm like, praise the Lord. But then as in reflection, I realized that wasn't very helpful. And I share this because there are so many things in all of our lives that will distract us in different moments. And sometimes the very thing that God wants you to do and the things that he has called you to do, there will be other distractions that will pull you away from that. I'm wondering what it is for you. For some of you, your distractions might be entertainment. For some of you, it might be just relational issues with other people. For some of you, it might be things dealing with the future. With anxiety, you don't know what's going to happen. And those are things that I believe sometimes... God uses for the good to help us to see that, but also it's an avenue for Satan to come and speak lies to us, and we start believing in these lies. This is the reason why some of you cannot focus, especially have clarity on the very thing that God is calling you to do, some of the goals that you want to achieve, some of the things that you want to implement, those spiritual habits that you know that from last year as it didn't go well, you want to be able to implement it in your life. That's why Paul says, instead of getting distracted, what did he tell Timothy? Train yourself for godliness. The phrase train yourself is translated as exercise yourself. That word train is where we get the word gymnasium. So you're working out in the gym. So it's this idea of exercising. And so we have to remember that godliness 
does not come automatically. It is something that you have to train for, something that I have to train for. Then in verse 8, Apostle Paul reminds Timothy that there are things here on earth that have some value, but then there are other things that will have value for eternity. And he says, when you work out your body, when you train, when you go to the gym, like not metaphorically, but physically go to the gym, you run, you lift weights. I don't know what else. You play tennis. You, you do some kind of sport. He says, it has some value, keeping healthy. Our bodies are the temple of God. So it's a good thing. But what he says is that it has some value, but there is something that has greater value in light of eternity. And what is more important is the exercising of our spiritual life. That is what he's referring to. And Paul understood this, and he always used illustrations about working out, about exercising, about running the race, because he, this is how he saw the Christian life. It is a race. It's not a sprint, but it's a race, but we want to run faithfully, and we want to finish. Listen to what he wrote to the people of Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 to 27, the New Living Translation. Go ahead and read the yellow section with me. It says this, don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one, gets, one person gets the prize? So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I, might, I myself might be disqualified. So what Paul is simply saying is this. Life is like a race. And if you want to become more like Jesus Christ, become more godly, that means that you have to train and it requires focus. There's going to be many things that will distract you, but you have to focus. And then it's interesting that he talks about that it's for the present life and also for the life to come. So this is the amazing part that Paul is trying to tell Timothy. If you would train for godliness, it is going to help you in the present life, the life you're living right now, but also for the life into the future. Now, some of you are probably thinking, what, what is he trying to say? The point that he's making is this, that if you train yourself for godliness through the spiritual disciplines or the spiritual habits, and you focus in on what you need to, not getting distracted by all these like silly myths, what he is simply saying is that you could enjoy the life that God has promised unto us. It's not when we die and go to heaven, but right now in the present life, you could enjoy the fullness and the abundance of life. Can I just challenge some of us this morning? I'm wondering, how are you living your life? Maybe some of you are struggling. Maybe some of you know something deep inside. You're not living the best life that God has for you. Maybe some of you are being entangled in sin. Maybe some of you are struggling with some of the old things that you struggle with, and it's coming back, especially during this pandemic. And because of that, you, you have no motivation. You have no desire to do things. Any drive that you have is now redirected to things that are distracting you. I'm wondering if we have forgotten that the life that Jesus Christ offers to us is a life that is abundant and is full. And Satan only comes to kill, steal, 
and to destroy. But God has given us life and life abundantly. That's why you need to focus in your life. If we're serious about carrying out these new goals, without that, we're not going to be able to do it. I like what uh, John Orpuk said in his book, The Life You've Always Wanted. Great book. If you want to read a book on spiritual disciplines or spiritual habits, it's one book that you might want to read. And listen to what he says. He, he talks about pseudo-transformation. So it's like a fake transformation that I think many of us might be going through right now. Listen to what it says. He, he writes it in his book, The Life You've Always Wanted. The great danger that arises when we don't experience authentic transformation is that we will settle for what might be called pseudo-transformation. We know that as a Christian, as Christians, we are called to come out and be separate, that our faith and spiritual commitments should make us different somehow. But if we are not marked by greater and greater amounts of love and joy, we will inevitably look for substitute ways of distinguishing ourselves from those who are not Christians. If we do not become changed from the inside out, we will be tempted to find external methods to satisfy our needs to feel that we're different from those outside, of, outside the faith. If we cannot be transformed, we will settle for being informed or conformed. What a great reminder for us. Think about that for a moment. That the gospel can and will deeply transform a person's life. But because of our pride, our stubbornness, self-centeredness, whatever it may be, we don't allow God's work of grace to happen in our lives. We resist Him. We rebel against Him. We settle and choose our allegiance to other things, our future. And then we make all these things around us as our little gods. So what happens? We're not any different from the world. The way you do relationships is not any different from the world. You might pray, but the way you live your life is just like the world. Think about your job and how you do your work. It's not any different. You're just as gossipy with your colleagues about your manager as everyone else. Just look at all the other stuff that you struggle with that other people struggle with. And I'm not saying that you should not struggle with it. But if you really have been transformed with the gospel message, your perspective, your attitude, the joy that cannot be explained, all these things should be a result of experiencing genuine transformation. So what happens? We settle for pseudo-transformation. We try to do things so that we could be different. We go to church. We read the Bible. And once again, not to say any of those things are wrong, but we do it because we're trying to cover up a, a faith or a genuine transformation that we have not experienced. This is why we have so many Pharisees or Pharisaic self-righteous people in the church. In fact, as he's talking about the pseudo-transformation, I was kind of thinking about what are some of the signs? How, how do I know, Pastor, that I, I'm going through this? Well, let me give you just a quick test. Here are some questions for you to think about. Number one, am I spiritually inauthentic? So you fake it. You, you, you send in your soul, but you didn't really read it. You just kind of figure something out. Some of you are praying the shine prayer at 514. And you don't really play, pray. You just write up whatever. That's spiritual inauthenticity, and that's a sign that you're not being genuinely transformed. Second, 
Am I becoming judgmental or exclusive or proud? Because when you really are being deeply transformed, you should be humble. You should be gracious, less judgmental. No wonder the world hates Christians and the church because we are some of the most judgmental people in the world. So if that's, if that's you and you're saying, I'm growing spiritually, you might want to pause and rethink about that. The third thing is this, am I becoming more approachable or less? Because there's something about graciousness. There's something about loving God and loving people that people are willing to approach you. Number four, am I growing weary of pursuing spiritual growth? Because once again, when you have a deep change, yes, we get tired. Yes, things are hard. But you want to continue to be filled by him and him alone. But some of us, we're struggling because we're getting weary of pursuing after spirit. Is it really worth it? Why do I have to do this? That's a sign that your heart is drifting away and there is no deep change. Here's the last question for you to think about. Am I measuring my spiritual life in superficial ways? Am I measuring about how many times I do soap? How many times I go to church? I didn't miss that meeting. I went to life group. Is that how you measure your spiritual life? If that is, then you're not experiencing the genuine change and transformation that you need to. I think the best way to grow spiritually is simply by asking the question, as I shared earlier, am I loving God and loving people more today than I did yesterday? Just simple question. Because everything we do, the spiritual disciplines, the spiritual habits, the goals that are spiritual, it should lead us to that. And if it's not, then we're not genuinely growing. It's a, it has to change our perspective. I was thinking about this. I go, man, we, we live in Hong Kong, such a fast-paced, results-oriented culture here, any global city. And so it's all about what you produce, what you can do. And in that kind of mindset, our spiritual disciplines become something that we do. That's why many times when you pray or when you read the Bible and nothing results from it, what happens? You get discouraged. But is that the end goal? So that you could see more stuff coming. No, it's about learning to love God and love people. I, I, I was thinking about this daily habit and, and the negative effects of it if we don't practice this on a regular basis. Uh, how many of you have uh, ever had a, a goldfish or a fish tank? Now, if you had uh, or still have, I guess, um, I remember winning uh, some goldfish at a, uh, a fair. It's kind of like the, kind of like a, what's the best way? A carnival, whatever you want to call it. And I won some goldfish and I'm like, okay, I got some fish. And I don't really like animals, you guys know, but I'm just like, okay, I got some fish. So I think I can take care of this. So uh, there was like this little uh, glass thing where you put water and then you put the fish in there. And, you know, it's exciting because you're like, oh, a little fishy, fishy. And then so you kind of drop in a little bit of the food. And then I did that uh, pretty well for the first three, four days, and then I forgot. And that's where I got scarred, and I realized don't name any of your pets because it's going to be kind of weird. So next thing I know, I go there, I'm like, oh, my God, I forgot to feed the fish. And it was like more than a week, and it's like slowly floating away. And I'm like, this is about faithfully feeding your animal or your fish every single day. Just think about other areas of your life. Whether it's a child growing up, maybe even like a farmer where they 
plant and they have to wait patiently. And so, or even simply cleaning your house. Some of you are the people that love to just make it as messy as possible because in your mind, you're like, one day I'm going to clean it all up. Can I just tell you a little secret? Your roommate hates you because that is the kind of thing that people don't like. Like, and I know my wife, she, she likes things clean. So like, I always have to pick things up and put things back to where it was. And little things, little by little, that's when you're going to be able to see some of the changes. Now, why is all this important? Because what Paul is saying is everything he just mentioned about focus and training, what he's simply saying is this is a true statement. That's why in verse 9, he's saying it is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. He's saying I've gone through life and I experienced this. And I'm telling you right now, focus. Don't get distracted. And to be able to think about this present life and the life after and live your life towards godliness. It's going to require training so you can accomplish that. I'm wondering where you are. What's distracting you? What are some things that you really need to focus in on in this season, especially in your relationship with Jesus Christ? You cannot do that without training for this godliness. I pray that you will do that. I wanted to uh, just have us maybe a shorter time, maybe five minutes, because I'm looking at the time and we want to try to end this uh, on time, is that the next five minutes, can you just quickly answer these questions? Even if you could only answer one, that's okay. And the two questions are simply this. The first one is, what are some distractions in your life that hinder you from developing good spiritual habits? The second one is, how do you think uh, you can take some, uh, or in what ways, maybe that's a better way to put it, in what ways can you take some small steps towards change or transformation? So you could just pick one and answer, or if you have enough time to answer both, and we'll come back in five minutes, all right? So we'll see you back again. Welcome back, and once again, I'm pretty positive you didn't have enough time for everyone to share, but uh, I hope m many of you can even follow up and talk together on this. I want to just quickly finish off with this last point. It's a shorter point, and it's simply, as we think about this idea of how we put our hope in eternity, and through that, it's going to help us to then look at our goals and make it a priority in our lives. We talked about we must be focused, and the second thing is we must be faithful that we must be faithful. Let me just quickly read verse 10. And it says this, For it to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. The two specific words that we notice in this verse is the word toil. The word toil is translated as to labor. It's this idea of working out that it's not going to be easy. The other word that you see is to strive. It is translated as to agonize. So it's about straining. It's about giving one's best, even though it hurts to keep on being faithful to the thing that you're called to do. And so when we have to think about pursuing after God in training and godliness, what we see is that it's not so much a physical training, even though that might help, but it really is a spiritual training that we need that's more internal in our minds, 
in our hearts, our attitudes. And this is the reason why when we do what we are called to do, maybe your purpose in life, maybe in your relationship with people around you, that you need spiritual strength. You need spiritual anointing. And that requires us to depend on God. And through our toiling and striving, not in a human paradigm way, but as we're connected to Jesus, that we're not going to give up. We're going to continue on so that we can be faithful to what God has called us to do. That's why I like this idea of you got to know your purpose in why you do what you do. Listen to some of these other translations of verse 10. The voice says, this is what we work so hard for. And he says, this is why we are constantly struggling. So you see the word why. Because we have an assured hope fixed upon a living God who is the savior of all man, humankind, especially all of us who believe. Listen to what the Passion Translation says. It says this, for the sake of this ministry, we toil tireless, uh, tirelessly and are criticized continually simply because of our hope is in the living God. He is the wonderful life giver of all the children of men and even more to those who believe. The message translation says this, this is why we've thrown ourselves into this venture so totally. Pretty much, he's all in. We've got to be all in. We're banking on the living God, Savior of all men and women, especially believers. Paul is able to be faithful in what he is called to do because his confidence, listen, is not on himself, but on the living God. This is what you have to understand. Part of being faithful it's not because you're going to try to do this thing. You're going to try to show people you can be faithful. It's looking to the living God, setting our hope on this living God who is faithful to us. And as we see his faithfulness to us, it motivates us that I want to be faithful to him. And that's why we strive. We toil. We do it because we love God, not because we love ourselves or we love the reputation we have or what people will say to us but because we love God. That's it. We don't want anything else because that's going to that's gonna mix so many things in there that hinders us from genuinely experiencing that transformation. That's why I love what Jim Elliott said in, when he wrote in his journal. Some of you know he was one of the martyrs, one of the five martyrs that uh, was murdered um, when he was reaching out and sharing the gospel with some of the people in Ecuador. And this is what he wrote in his journal. God, deliver me from the dread uh, a bestos of other things. Saturate me with the oil of your spirit that I may be aflame. God's oil has to come upon us with his fire that sets us ablaze. So get rid of all those things that hinder the combustion or the things that will ignite our hearts and say, God, help me to be faithful because you are a consuming fire and you love me. And that's why as we think about this, as I mentioned before, when our hope is on eternity, then we will make our goals a priority. And we do that by being focused and also being faithful. So quickly here, what are some of the next steps? And I just came up with things. This one actually came and I wasn't even thinking about it, but just as I was uh, commuting, an uh, idea popped in my mind. As I talked, I was thinking about spiritual habits and genuine transformation. The first thing is this. The first step is be honest with God through confession. I think we've lost the art of confession. 
so many of us don't know how to confess, especially when you fall short. Maybe you made a commitment, but you did not follow through. Learning how to confess, the more honest you are, the more open you are to God working in your life. The second thing is this, be hungry for God through commitment. When you commit to something, it's God who's going to stir your heart. It's God who will put this hunger to know him more. So stay committed. If you're committed to doing life group, commit to it. Make that your first priority amongst a lot of other extra things that you can do. If you're committed to reading the Bible, make that a priority. And to say every morning or every afternoon, I'm going to read the Bible so that I can hear from the word of God. Prayer, whatever it is that you're committed to, that's where the hunger will continue to grow. And the third thing is be humble towards others through correction. This is part of accountability. There are times when God will lead you with people or lead you to people who will be able to speak into your life, even bring correction or challenge to you to be able to accept that. So we want to close at this time uh, just being reminded that we come before God humbly and knowing that it's His grace and His grace alone that enables us to even be faithful or to stay focused. But when you think about the gospel message, it is Jesus Christ who was focused on why he came to this earth, lived the perfect life that you and I could not live. And he was focused when he was getting flogged and beaten. It would have been easy to say, my will, Lord, not your will. But he said, not my will, but may your will be done. He was focused when he went to the cross. He didn't have to, but he obeyed and he stayed focused to the mission. All these things show you what it does. It shows us the faithfulness of God, the goodness of God. And I'm praying for every single one of us here as we think about this new year. There are a lot of different goals that you have set forth. But without the help of Jesus Christ, without his help, we, not, we cannot do this. That's why we're going to humble ourselves. And say, God, put this hunger in me. Help me to be faithful. Help me to be focused. And as you begin to pray, you'll see God working in your life. And you'll realize it's like this good infinite loop. As you surrender, as you obey God, you'll see him filling you up. As he fills you up, you're going to obey him even more. And then as you obey him more, he's going to fill you up even more. And it keeps on going. And you're going to get stronger. You're going to be strengthened in the things that you do. So at this time, we're just going to sing a song together. And I want to encourage us. If you've been sitting there for a while, you can just stand and just worship with us and just kind of focus on Jesus. And afterwards, I'm going to pray, uh, pray a prayer of blessing over you. And then we'll close out. So let's sing the song together. Amen. Let's uh, pray together, shall we? I'm going to pray for you and pray that this week will be blessed because of what Jesus has done for us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this great reminder that apart from you, we can do nothing. And that's why we humbly come to you. We trust in your word. You've told us to come unto you, all those who are heavy burdened, those who are weary. And Lord, we just want to confess, many of us, we've been doing this religious thing, making it all about us, trying to earn our way. And that's why we're spiritually tired. I just pray that we'll refocus on what's important. Help us to think about eternity and what that means. And that will cause us to discipline ourselves, to make these practices or these habits 
so that we can love you more and to love people around us more, to fulfill the mission that you've given us. So I pray for every single person that this coming week, Lord, that we'll experience the joy of knowing you, of loving you. I pray, Lord, whatever goals that we have set forth, may some of those goals deal with the spiritual nature of our own hearts, that we will read the word, that we will pray, the, the discipline of solitude, the discipline of reflection, the discipline of giving, the discipline, Lord God, of just being able to serve other people. Use us this coming week in our workplaces, in our families, in our schools, even strangers that we meet, that we will be your hands or feet. We thank you so much. We love you and pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for tuning in and we'll hope to see you next week. So God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net. 